is Upper Michigan's Happy Hour on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along for the latest edition of the Sports Pen. And it's ABC 10 Wednesdays here in ESPN-UP. As always, we're delighted to be joined by John Michael Hofling, sports guy over at the 10. What's up, Mike? Not much, man. You're calling yourself the happy hour? We are the happy hour. That's some high praise for yourselves right there. (laughs) The happy hour every weekday from 4 to 5 here on ESPN-UP and online with our app, we have no shortage of content to get nope. into. I tell you what, Mike, look at everything that's happened this last news cycle. Last night I was in Gladstone. I was with the Westwood Patriot girls team right before we hit the air because we hit the air fairly late because of a bus issue on Westwood's end. So we hit the air about 7.30 last night. I look down at my phone and I see Alex Cora is out as manager of the Red Sox. And I'm like, okay, well, that's going to be something. Uh, a little bit later, I think we're in the second quarter, maybe. Another alert on my phone, Josh Donaldson is a Minnesota twin. I'm like, all right, twins yeah, landed up. I wanted to ask contract. how you felt about that one. Well, I tell you, I'm going to get into it because i got a lot of thoughts on that. All right. Second half, what was it that broke later? It was, uh, oh, Luke Keekley retired abruptly. Mm, oh, yep. That happened. Uh, Joe Burrow, his coordinator, is off to the Carolina Panthers. He's going to the NFL. So between that and Duke losing last night, sports fans in Carolina have kind of gone through all the emotions <laughs> here in the last hour. They lose. Luke Not Keekley. just one emotion. Just one emotion. Yeah, Sadness. Yeah, no, 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 because they got Joe Brady. I guess. Now they have Joe Brady. you got to feel good about that. Mm, oh, we'll come see. on. We'll see. Look what he did with Joe Brady. I'd love to have Joe Brady. I really would. But I tell you what, that's all coming up throughout the day. Plus, we preview the NFL this weekend. We've got college football news because Northern Michigan released their upcoming schedule. Plus, one of the most controversial figures in the game has a new job. We've got a lot of hockey to talk about because another coach has not been able to outlast Jeff Blaschel. Somehow, Jeff Blaschel, I wondered if he'd last the game last night in that 8-2 thrashing at the hands of the Islanders. There is a different coach that probably shouldn't be out of a job, but he is. And they've gone to a divisional rival to be his replacement. All that and more coming up over the course of next hour. But let's start with football, Mike. How excited are you this week? You've got the Niners one win away from a Super Bowl, hosting a team that they thrashed by 29 earlier this year. I don't think it's going to be a 29-point blowout again. I think it's going to be a much better game this time around. But, man, you got to feel good. got to feel confident as a Niners fan. I feel good. I gave the Packers a 15% chance to win this game. 15? That's it? That's it. I would say it'd probably be more like 60 to 40. Really? Yeah, I'd, so, I'd give the edge to the Niners right now, but I don't know that I'm going to pick the Niners. How much, how, what, what do you think the spread's going to be? How, how, so you're going to pick the Niners, or you would give the edge to the Niners right now by what? I'm undecided yet, but right now I'd say probably seven. Niners by seven? I'd say Niners I by seven. I think the Niners will win by 17. Really? Mm-hmm. What makes you so confident? They match up just so well with uh, with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers ain't what he used to be and stuff like that. If they can just stop Aaron Jones, they can limit the time of possession, force Aaron Rodgers to throw. And guess what? Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams pretty much single-handedly beat the Seahawks last week. Eight receptions, 160 yards, two touchdowns. The Niners aren't going to let you beat aren't going to let you beat them with just one person. So they're going to take away Devontae Adams and they're going to force Lazard to beat them, Valdez Scantling, Allison to beat them, Mercedes Ar- Lewis, uh, yeah, Jimmy Graham. Jimmy Graham, I'll take those odds every single day of the week. I have a counterpoint and then a counterpoint to my counterpoint. But first, I just checked the official line. Right now it's San Fran by seven and a half. Mm-hmm. So it's about where I would think I it would, would ta- be. I would take San Francisco there. All right, you take the points. I have a counterpoint for you on Aaron Rodgers not being what he used to be. 
because last week he very much did look like the vintage Aaron Rodgers we've come to know. And some of us love, some of us hate, I guess. Some people hate, you know, that he's not on their team, I guess. But we saw that Rodgers last week. Counterpoint to that, though, he did not do it against a front seven like he's going to see this weekend. Or a secondary like he's going to see this That's weekend. That's true. That's true. And, you know, and I talked with Rob Domovsky, the Packers beat writer, on the show yesterday. We previewed the matchup. Really, if there's any position group where the Packers have the edge over San Fran, it's the quarterback position. And I would say running back. I would say I, Aaron I would Jones. put Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Aaron Jones is better than any individual running back that... San Francisco has, but mm-hmm. I think San Francisco is a little deeper at that position. I would say quarterback and maybe, maybe linebacker. Think so? With Zadarius and Preston Smith, I I think the defensive line for the 49ers is good, but their uh, linebackers, other than Fred Warner, I mean, Quan Alexander is really athletic, but he's a little banged up still, so there's there's a lot of question marks let me amend that just a little bit i would say that the packers have the edge as far as pass rushing linebackers coverage linebackers they they struggle yeah. trying to cover a big tight end and they are going up against the best tight end in football this weekend i mean blake martinez can't lead the league in tackles he can't cover anybody to save his life yeah it happens it happens he's a stanford guy i know you don't want to talk about stanford guys not you know, or struggling in the NFL. And I'm not saying that he struggles. Let's talk about Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about him and his new offensive coordinator here after a yeah. bit. I tell you what, though, 17 points for the Niners. I mean, do you feel that confident just after what they did to Minnesota? I feel that confident after what they did to Green Bay earlier this season. Mm-hmm. That was a Green Bay team that was at pretty much full strength, other than, like, what, Equinemia St. Brown, I think Probably. it was hurt at that point. And the Niners were really banged up. Now they have back... Uh, Quan Alexander. They have back Jason Verrett. They have back pretty much their entire team at this Robbie point. Gold. Uh, yeah, they have back Robbie Gold. The only person they're missing now uh, is Weston Richburg, their center. Mm-hmm. And they were missing him back then, too. So it does. Is McGlinchey back? McGlinchey's back. Okay, yeah. that'll help. Yeah, so that's another thing. So it's just a lot of things. It was a 29 point victory. I don't like, like I said, I don't think it'll be this, I don't think it'll be 29 points again, but the Niners just match up way too well with them. The, the only way the Packers can win is by forcing Jimmy Garoppolo to throw turnovers. Uh, however, that means that the Packers need to get out in front early, which means the Packers need to control the clock, which means they need to stop the Niners' run game, which just doesn't happen. They, they, I don't think they're going to be able to stop the Niners' run game. And if they can't stop the Niners' run game, the Niners are going to go up like 10-7 to 7 really early on, and then it's just going to be ground and pound, ground and pound, ground and pound. Oh, 7 points, 17-7, and it's slowly going to devolve from there as Aaron Rodgers is unable to find Devontae Adams consistently. So if the Packers were to come out of Santa Clara with a win, what would have to happen? Is it something that the Packers can control, or they have to have someone play out the, of their mind, or would the Niners have to be really poor in some area? The Packers' defense really needs to step up and stop that run game from the 49ers, because that's what the Niners do. They rushed it 47 times last week against mm-hmm. the Vikings. As soon as they get any sorts, any sense of lead, as soon as they get any sense of you can't stop our run, they are going to hit you so hard with that ground game, and they're not going to stop. So until you can prove, hey, you're not going to be able to get first downs, you're not going to be able to con- get consistently four to five yard runs from Tevin Coleman, Raheem Mostert, and Matt Breida. As soon as you can prove that, you're going to force Jimmy Garoppolo to throw. He's a little bit of tur- he's a little turnover prone and stuff like that. The Packers are third in the league in interceptions forced this year, so that's going to be the one way that they can be able to do it: force interceptions, force turnovers in the Niners' zone. However, all that relies on stopping 
them from getting first downs via the ground game. Yeah, and that's what Rob Domovsky talked about here on the show yesterday. The, they kind of do, the Niners do, they kind of do what the Tennessee Titans do, but they do it a different way in the sense that they don't ask their quarterback to throw the ball more than you know 20 times a game in some circumstances. The Titans obviously get it done by having an elite rushing game with Derrick Henry. The Niners get it done by having an okay rushing game, although Tevin Coleman was more than okay last week. They do it primarily by getting the ball out quickly and letting George Kittle go to work. Well, the Niners do have a very good do have a very good uh, rushing game. They're top five in the league in rushing this year and mm-hmm. stuff like that. They are top five in the league in yards per carry as well. They just are very deep at that, and they have different personnel for different things. They have Kyle Juszczyk, who for short yardage situations one of the best. I in the love league. him. Yeah, he's great. I do. Yeah, they have Raheem Mostert, who's very uh, big play. Uh, uh, what's the word? Big play. Prone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he gets a lot of big plays. He's like, you know who I want to... Explosive. Wanna, yeah, explosive. There we go. Uh, I want to compare him to Chris Thompson from the Washington Redskins, mm-hmm. except Chris Thompson always gets hurt. But Chris mm-hmm. Thompson is a pass-catching back who, for some reason, just gets 40-yard touchdowns so consistently and stuff like that. Raheem Mostert is that same sort of thing. Matt Breida is a speed back. He's the second fastest back in the league from what I remember. And then there's Tevin Coleman, who isn't exactly an in-your-teeth run straight between the tackles guy, but he's the most between the tackles guy that you can have on the Niners. And then there's also Jarek McKinnon, who's hurt. But when he comes back, like that's another pass-catching mm-hmm. back. I like Jarek. Jarek the Jet. Yeah. I remember him from his time in Minnesota. I liked him. The Niners are going to have four running backs next year. It's going to be so strange. <laughs> Tell you what. Uh, last thing before we look over to the AFC Championship game. This is the first time we've had you on the show since the last domino fell of the NFL head coaching cycle. How happy are you to be keeping Robert Sala? I'm pretty happy about yeah, it. Yeah, I would be too Yeah, if I were a Niner fan. There's a lot more Niner fans up here than I would expect. Like, there are a lot of <laughs> Niner fans in the UP. I have found one. Other You've one. only found one? Yeah, and we literally figured it out yesterday. We talked to him yesterday. That'd be Alan, S-I-D, over... I, I'm trying to say... I know I'm going to say it wrong. Alan Doherty, I think. Doherty, yeah. Yeah. Um... He is a 49er fan, as we found out yesterday. I know that he's excited, so you've got a friend in that sense. But there are a lot more Niner fans. Like, you go out, like, I've met more Niner fans, like, than I would have ever expected to meet up here in the UP. My building manager, my landlady, she's a a Niners fan. Really? And her fiancé is a Packer fan, so it's going to be a fun weekend in their household. Great. (laughs) (laughs) I tell you what. Uh, Let's go to the AFC side of things, where we've got the Titans who've come out of nowhere. They have passed less than 30 times in their two postseason games combined, and yet they are playing the Chiefs for a chance to get to the Super Bowl. They may dominate time possession. Like, it could be 45-15, to 15, and they still may not win this game. Yeah. Uh, I've picked the Titans two weeks in a row for our Pick'em League. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pick them again this not week. Not this week. No. I, I think... So the one thing about Lamar Jackson that... I, I think Lamar Jackson is great. He's going to dominate the league for years, but I think Patrick Mahomes is going to dominate a little more. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's because Lamar Jackson, I knew coming into the season there was going to come a time where the Ravens were going to f- go down early and Lamar Jackson was going to be forced to throw 50 times a game. Mm-hmm. And when that situation comes up, Lamar Jackson doesn't have the accuracy to win a game in that situation. That's exactly what happened with the Tennessee Titans. Uh, why did I pick the Titans? Because I needed the win, and I uh, and they were hot, and I figured why not. But uh, it's it's like it w- that was the thing that I thought could happen was the Titans could dominate time of possession, go up early, and force Lamar Jackson to throw, and that's how you beat the Titans. However, if you're going to do that against the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes will be able to come back and beat you like he did mm-hmm. with the Houston Texans. Now the Tennessee Titans defense is better than the Texans defense, but. 
it's not good enough to be able to stop Patrick Mahomes. I don't know if there's any defense good enough to stop Patrick Mahomes. So that that's sort of what I'm looking at it from this point. I think Pat Mahomes might go down early, but he has the tools to come back. He has the weapons to come back, uh, whereas I don't think Lamar Jackson did. This is a Chiefs team that time possession does not matter to them. It literally doesn't matter. They could have the ball for five minutes out of a 60-minute game and still win. They yeah. are that good of a quick-strike offense. Yeah, Tyreek Hill gets a 90-yard touchdown. Look at that. It's an 11-second <laughs> possession, still scores seven points. There was an interesting debate on the Wilt Kane show a couple of days ago, and I want to get your thoughts on it. Right now, take away contracts, take away age, what have you, just based on performance right now, would you rather have any other running back in the league than Derrick Henry? Because to me, there's only one guy that right now would even make a case for me wanting to have him over Derrick Henry. Christian McCaffrey. Yes, and um, that's him. I, I think you have to take a lot of things into account. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, if we're talking just pure running back in their, in their tool set, I think Ezekiel Elliott, uh, Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, and Alvin, Alvin Kamara, Saquon Barkley. Would you could, take any of them over Henry right now, though? I, right now, like, no. But uh, I think an argument could be made for every one of those guys I oh, just sure, said. sure, there could be an argument. But if you have your choice, contracts aside, just based on how they're playing right now, would you take Derrick Henry? Well, let's not forget that. It went, let's not forget that a lot of this falls on Ryan Tannehill too. I think Ryan Tannehill has been spectacular this year, and I always, I'll always say this. I think the quarterback is always the most important position mm-hmm. on a team. As great as Derrick Henry's been, Ryan Tannehill is arguably the main reason why he's been able to be so good. And you might say, "No, come on, it's got to be Henry." Well, take a look. Like during the Titans' first six weeks with Marcus Mariota, the Titans um, had. Uh, Derrick Henry, excuse me, was averaging 3.4 yards per carry. Ever since Ryan Tannehill took over, it's 5.7. You think that, that, that that's just a coincidence? No. Reliable quarterback play always opens up the run game, opens up the play action, opens up a lot of routes for a guy like Derrick Henry, a big, strong guy where, hey, if the safety is not coming up over the top, that's one less guy for a 240-pound running back to try to get through. So, yes, that, that, that does play a huge factor into it. So as much as I love Derrick Henry, I think Ryan Tannehill needs to be getting some praise right now. So I just want to clarify, are you saying that Tannehill's ability to pass better than Mariota means a defense isn't just going to key in on the run game like they were mm-hmm. when Mariota was quarterback? Yes, and that has really opened up Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry wasn't even top, I think he was 11th in the league uh, in rush yards through the first six weeks when Mariota was quarterback, mm-hmm. and he finished as the, the lead rusher in the league. The, 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 come on. <laughs> It's 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 obvious. Like competent quarterback play opens up so much. Do you think Aaron Jones would be doing all this without Aaron Rodgers being able to throw twenty five touchdowns, two interceptions? No. Do you think? Well, Christian McCaffrey is just incredible. But mm-hmm. um, I mean, Kurt, a lot of people were saying Kirk Cousins was playing. The one the one exception to this rule, I think, is Kirk Cousins, Dalvin Cook. Where the fact that Dalvin Cook was so good this year mm-hmm. opened up Kirk Cousins to throw to Diggs, Thielen, and Rudolph. Um, that's the only exception, though. I think every other situation, I think da- uh, Dak Prescott makes Ezekiel Elliott. I think Ryan Tannehill doesn't make Derrick Henry, but definitely makes him better. What about Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley? Uh, that's a tougher one because Jones turns it over a lot, but he does put up pretty good offensive numbers. Yeah, if we're talking statistics, but if right. that's the case, then Ronald Jones and Peyton Barber should be really good with Jameis Winston. <laughs> so I, I think that that sort of relies on Saquon Barkley as well, opening up things for Daniel Jones. But Daniel Jones is a rookie. I'm not going to 
bag on him just yet and stuff like that. Give him a year, give him two years, see how it goes out, and then we can make that distinction. Last thing before we go to break, I just want to say that if the lines hold and there are no upsets this weekend, we would have the Chiefs play the 49ers in the Super Bowl. To me, that's the least appealing Super Bowl matchup. Like, I think we'd get a better Super Bowl having Rodgers against Mahomes. I think the game would be more competitive. Then, I think it'd even be more entertaining well, with Tampa Bay, or excuse me, Tennessee playing Green Bay. Well, then we know that State Farm rigged it if it's Kansas City and Green Bay. I'm fine with that. I want to <laughs> see those two go up against each other. Yeah, it'd be a good, it'd be a good little game. But uh, I mean, I I just don't see it. Like, if this was like four years ago, and I know Patrick Mahomes wasn't in the league at that point, and something mm-hmm. like that, I'd be like, yes, that's an incredible quarterback match. Because Alex right Smith. Now. Would have still been playing quarterback. That's very true, but um, <laughs> I uh, I just don't think if it's Kansas City Green Bay, I I don't think that it would be as good a quarterback matchup as we think. I just don't see it with Aaron Rodgers uh, as of late this year. Well, as, by as of late, I mean this year. I just don't see that dynamic. I don't have that. I don't sense that aura around Aaron Rodgers. That aura of he's unstoppable. He's gonna go down there and score. He's gonna make that comeback. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know my opinion on him and comebacks. Mm-hmm. I think that it's a mirage. But mm. uh, I mean, have I, I've told you about That's that. That's a right? hot take. It's, uh, I mean, okay, Owen thirty-eight in his career when he's trail when he's going into the fourth quarter trailing by at least one point against teams with a winning record. Yeah, well, true, but the hail marys. Yeah, but that's against lo- that's against teams with the losing record. Oh, they've happened in the playoffs. Remember, Jeff Janis became a legend, Michigan native, by the way. But he wasn't trailing going into the fourth quarter. So he wasn't, what? but it's still the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess. But just in general, I, I, I think I don't think he's as good as co- at comebacks as people say he is. He can lead some game-winning drives, but in terms of cl- in terms of the clutch factor and taking a look at what I've seen from him this year, doesn't exactly have that same arm talent that he had in years past. I wouldn't say that that's as good a quarterback matchup as we think it is. I think Patrick Mahomes is far and away the best quarterback left. I would agree. And it's not even close. I would agree with that. That being said, I still can't. I'm not going to go on that limb with the, with uh, with Rodgers and his. I, I I think he is one of the best comeback quarterbacks. I'm just. I'm not going to go on that limb, but I see where you're coming from. Let's take our first time out when we come back. More dominoes fall from Major League Baseball's cheating scandal. What's the next one? That's next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad to have you along. Last night, another domino fell as far as the Major League Baseball cheating scandal goes. Alex Cora mutually parts ways with the Boston Red Sox, although it's never mutual. Mm -hmm. He is out as manager of the Boston Red Sox, rightfully so. Mike, you were kind of hot takey last week when it came to this, weren't you? I mean, a little bit. A little bit. Uh, Okay, maybe a big bit. (laughs) Well, to be fair, now we have more information about what actually went down, and we have new perspective. I have new perspective on it since the announcement first came out that uh, Jeff Lunau and A.J. Hinch were suspended and then fired. I have new perspective just reading, you know, the highlights of that report that came out from Major League Baseball. Yeah. Uh, well, let's go through your for your new perspectives first. Yeah. Well, so, so what are you talking about? With that? Well, I'm talking about how I originally thought this was organized by the top brass, by the Astros, and that's why they were suspended, A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau, and then later fired. And now it turns out, you know, getting into that nine-page Major League Baseball report, that the players had more of a hand in this. A.J. Hinch did try to put a stop to it at one point, probably could have done more to do so, so I'm not saying he's innocent by any stretch, but the players seem to be the ones who 
were the masterminds behind this, and none of them are getting punished because Major League Baseball's Player Association is too strong to go up against and do anything to, including the one who was mentioned by name in the report, who's now a manager of another team, Carlos Beltran with the Mets. And what I'm hoping for is that the Mets will do the right thing and mutually part ways with Carlos Beltran as well. Before you even give him a chance, I mean... No, I, I don't need to give him a chance. He's a cheater. I mean... Uh, and I like Beltran. I did like Beltran before this. So, a tweet came out about Justin Verlander. Justin Verlander, a couple of years ago, before he was on the Astros, mm-hmm. saying that he despised sign-stealing, yeah, 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 whatever. Uh, now that he's a part of it and stuff like that, or, we don't know which players exactly were a part of it, but mm-hmm. we can assume that he was a part of it and stuff like that. Uh, I, I'm not sure... I mean, if Pete Rose was banned for game, for betting on his own team... Yeah, not even against so. his team. Just on his team to win. Yeah. That was far less egregious than what just happened. Maybe even steroids. It's kind of on that playing tier. We're not getting into that. Not after last week. But I tell you what, the players are not going to be punished because Major League Baseball's Player Association is too powerful for baseball to go after them. So baseball makes us think they're slamming the hammer down by getting rid of the GM and the manager, at least they suspended them, that led to their firing because they can't go after the players, even though the players were the ones doing this. So to me, Major League Baseball needs to vacate that Houston title in 2017, maybe even the Red Sox in 2018, because they've done nothing to deter a player from ever doing this again. No. Nope. The title's going to stand. I mean, yeah, what's tit- the point? Title standing, nobody's getting their rings revoked, stuff like that. Uh, th- there's nothing. Um you you do miss your manager and like I obviously you know that the players love their manager and stuff like that and now they have to deal with somebody new in the clubhouse and how's the chemistry going to work with that and stuff like that but other than that not really anything and I don't know how much uh, I mean obviously I can't say from a statistical standpoint how much a manager means to a team and stuff like that so we can't really know anything about that but yeah in general um, nothing happened. And I guarantee you, sign stealing will continue. And I tell you what, Jeff Lunau, the general manager, uh, former general manager for the Houston Astros, they're missing him in the sense that it wasn't too long ago when the Astros were managed by Bo Porter and they were losing a hundred ball games a year. They were a really bad team. They bring in AJ Hinch, they bring in Jeff Lunau, and those two revolutionized baseball. They didn't just revamp the Astros; they revolutionized how the game is played. And maybe not always for the right reasons, but they were innovators and they were very good at what they did despite the cheating. That's a huge loss for Houston that people aren't talking about nearly enough. It is a huge loss for Houston, but the team that made it to the AL uh, to the ALCS uh, several years in a row, the team that continued to put up great numbers and fight with uh, the best of the best, that whole team is still there. Baseball is still a player game. Yeah, there's a lot of strategy involved in it and stuff like that, but in general... It's a player-driven game. You still have Altuve, Bregman, Springer, Correa, uh, Gurriel, stuff like that, Verlander, no Cole anymore, but still, you're the best team in the AL West by far. You might not beat the Yankees anymore, but still. I I, I don't think it's that much of an issue right now. to lo- Like, you do lose your GM, but that's not going to hurt you in the near future. That'll hurt you in the long term if the next GM isn't as good, but... As of right now, the Astros shouldn't have anything to worry about. That's why I need to somewhat announce my candidacy, somewhat seriously announce my candidacy for Commissioner of Major League Baseball because I have some ideas. If I were Commissioner of Major League Baseball, I know what I would do to the Astros. I'm just shaking my head right now. (laughs) You haven't even heard my ideas here. Okay, option A. 
break up their top like five, six players and you send them to like the worst teams in baseball. So we're sending Altuve to the Marlins, Michael Brantley to the Mariners, you know, the teams that are really struggling. We break all them up so that way they're stuck having to bring up guys from AAA. As a Giants fan, I really enjoy that. Oh, one. there you go. Yeah, yeah. You, can, you who do you want? You want Verlander? You want... Um, pitching. We need pitching. Okay, so, yeah, so. you can have Verlander. All right, perfect. All right, Verlander so, to the Giants. It. Love it. Option B. Make a rule that for the next three years, the Astros have to play with one out per inning instead of three. Everyone else gets three. They no, get one. No, no, no. Two. Yes. No, no, no. One. Give them two. Two nope, two's already won. If terrible. they didn't win a World Series, I would give them two. Because they have that title and it is allowed to stand, they have to play with one out per inning for the next three years. They're that gonna, would be what I would do if I was commissioner of baseball. They're going to go 0-162. I'm fine with that. Even if they do win one game, though, that would be pretty amazing. It would be. And there would be some team I'm sure they could beat. Like, you think they could beat the Marlins playing that way? Maybe. How about the Royals? I, I sincerely think they would lose every single game. Really? Mm-hmm. Not even? Well, let's see. It depends who they would have in interleague, because I was going to say the Mariners. Um, I don't know who else is bad in the National League that would be. Uh, Pirates. Pirates, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. They could probably beat the, beat the Giants, if we're you being think? honest. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you what, that's what I would do if I were commissioner of Major League Baseball. Before we come up on the halfway point in the show, tell you what, the Twins are doing something that just they haven't done in I don't know how long, and they have signed a top-tier free agent to a mega deal. I mean, they are one of the cheapest teams in baseball, or they have been traditionally, and they're going against the grain, and they're going out spending money. $92 million in guaranteed money on a four-year contract for Josh Donaldson. The bringer of rain is coming to the Twin Cities. I'm happy about it. I mean, I, I'm probably more happy than I realistically should be because they swung and missed on pitching, which is what they really need. We know they can hit home runs, but you know what? More home runs. Why well, not? John Donaldson's more than a home run hitter, too. He's an ace defender. Yes, and he is. He's more of a drive them in kind of guy than a home run hitter. Yeah, he can hit home runs, but I think he's more of a run facilitator than a home run hitter. He doesn't strike out nearly as much and stuff like that, which I know the Twins did struggle with last year mm-hmm. with, despite hitting a lot of home runs. So I think this definitely does help, but like you said, pitching. When they let C.J. Crone go in December, I said... Does this mean they're moving Miguel Sano to first base and they're going to go after a full-time third baseman, which they did? Here's my next prediction since, you know, I want to know in that sense. My next prediction, they do not exercise Nelson Cruz's uh, next contract option after this year. They let him become a free agent because he'll be 41 years old. As Sano or Donaldson, if his defense declines when he gets older because he'll be 37 when his contract with the Twins expires, either Sano or Donaldson moves to the DH spot. And they bring up, they've got a really nice prospect named Alex Kirloff that can play corner infield, and it would be his time to shine after that. That's my new prediction for the Twins now. All right, Now that we good. have a little direction of where they're going. Your logic is sound, too. I appreciate that. I need that. I, it's not always on this show, as the listeners will tell you. <laughs> I'm happy about it, though. Twins get the bringer of it. Do you know I used to not like him when he was in Oakland? I really didn't like him. I thought he was a tool bag, and I don't even remember why. I think he must have did something in a game I didn't like. I don't remember. I Probably just his hairstyle. I, no, I don't think it's it. I, I'm not one of those guys that, okay, I do judge people in their hairstyle, but I don't think that was it. I think it was something that he did I didn't like. I just didn't like him. I thought he was a tool bag for a long time. Now he's a twin. I love him. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> Sounds about right. <laughs> Tell you what, speaking of uh, how your opinion can change on somebody just because of what colors they wear, what team they're on, one of the most controversial coaches in college football has a new job. That's next on ESPN-UP.
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad to have you along. Here's your Sports Center update. Arizona Cardinals wide receiver Larry Fitzgerald announces that he will return next year for his 17th NFL season. How about that? Larry Fitz is going to keep it going. I love it. I love it, too. It's a better place when he's there. The NFL is better with Larry Fitz, absolutely. Ken Jennings beat out James Holzhauer and Brad Rutter to win the Jeopardy Greatest of All Time tournament. Did you watch any of that? Yeah. I wonder if that... I watched... I'm hoping I didn't just spoil it for a bunch of people, like if it's on tape delay or whatever, but Ken Jennings does it. Why was Brad even there? Like, he didn't contribute anything to that tournament. Well, so it was funny watching watching a lot of that thing uh, and watching some interviews about it. I got really into this. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Brad was talking about it. He said, I know a lot of these answers, but but Ken and James are just so fast on the trigger, I can't keep up. And so you can watch, (laughs) and every time he presses the trigger, he sort of turns his body and stuff like that, so you can see every single question he's pressing that trigger, but he is (laughs) never fast enough to beat out Ken or James. So he's just sitting there and stuff like that, and you can tell he knows the answer, but he just can't get it. You feel like the game would be different, the outcome would be different, if it was just mano a mano James against Ken? I think the outcome would be exactly the same. Think so? Yeah. Ken is just that good? Ken is very, very, very good. Well, he is that good. I'm, I'm not denying that, but Jeopardy James? I don't know. I think Brad would beat anybody who is slow on the trigger. I think Brad is... might. Brad legitimately might be the smartest one of the three. He might know the most, but he is. he just can't hit Reaction that trigger. Reaction time. Yeah. And finally, I love how that was in the Sports Center update, Jeopardy. And finally, Budweiser took to Twitter to track down the Kansas City Chiefs fan who sacrificed his beers for Eric Fisher's touchdown celebration during Sunday's win over Houston. Did you see that where Eric Fisher grabbed a couple of beers from a fan in the stands celebrating a touchdown, and he did the Stone Cold Steve Austin celebration? He'll probably get fined for it, but it was absolutely amazing. Well, Steve Austin himself and Budweiser took to Twitter to find this man, and they did. After about 45 minutes, somebody found him, and they are sending him a load, like I don't know how long, but a long supply of Budweiser beers and other goodies. This is just what you got to do at this point. It you got to do something radical or crazy with beer, hope it goes viral, and then you get like a lifetime supply. You should. I, I want to do something now, like with the, you know, because Carson King, the. Uh, Iowa Venmo beer guy did that just by holding up a game day sign, and now this fan is going to get a ton of beer sacrifice and two beers that probably cost him 20 bucks. Mm-hmm. And now he's famous on top of it. Yeah. It's a good deal. Yeah, it's a very good deal. Well, what's your plan? My, I don't know. I can't share it on the air either. <laughs> I'd say, even if I knew Other what my plan was, I know I couldn't share it. I'll think of something, though. Got it. That is your Sports Center update. Glad that you're along once again. We got a little college football to talk about. Northern Michigan released their upcoming schedule earlier today. Tua Tungabailoa saying he's not going to compete in the combine, but he may give teams a chance to see him in private. Although one of the most controversial figures in college football has a new job as of this morning, he beat out maybe an even more controversial figure. Bobby Petrino is the new head football coach at Missouri State University. Bobby, but you guess who he beat out? Art Bryles. Ooh. Yeah, so. How have I not heard about this? You know, and I like Missouri State. It's a great school. I've been on campus there. They are at the point where they're saying, 
I think we want to win more than we want to have strong morals. So we're going to pick the lesser of two evils, though, to have a little bit of morality involved. In that. We're going to pick the lesser of two evils with Petrino instead of Bryles. I like it. They're not giving in to the whole dilemma, the whole uh, oh, society. I like it. They're not giving in to the, uh, to the uh, idea. They're not giving in to the stigma that is, would oh, you, you want- can't hire a controversial head coach. Well, would you want Art Bryles after what he did to coach your kid, though? Uh, no, but uh, as as a uh, fan of the university, I, I think that's fine. As Are you a, a Missouri State fan? No. Uh, Go Bears? But, like, uh, I'm saying that if I were a Missouri State fan, it's like, oh, yes, I like this. If I were a parent, <laughs> no, I would not. Well, here's the thing. If he is good and this hire is worth it, I mean, you're still going to get flack because you hired a guy with a checkered pass. Even if he's good... This is a stepping stone job. He's not going to last there long. No, he, he's not. But the whole point of doing this is, one, to get your name in the headlines and stuff like that. And, two, uh, it can possibly, like, let's say you start winning and stuff like that. You start to attract better recruits and stuff like that. Yeah, you get a new coach and maybe you fall back. But guess what? You have those better recruits. There's a chance that you guys step into something bigger. So I think that I think that it's a good move for a program that really wants to step their game up in terms of their football program and stuff like that. But in general... Uh, I don't think I, I think it's a good move in terms of like they don't care about the bad press. They just don't care. They want to win right now, and I, I I admire their courage. You're like the stew gods of our friends of the show. They do whatever it takes to win. Yeah, do it, man. Why not? Sign steal. <laughs> I, I mean, like other people are doing it. Do steroids, sign steal. <laughs> John Michael's all about it. Tell you what, sticking with college football, Northern Michigan released their upcoming schedule earlier today. They've got six home games coming up this season. They open the year September 5th at McKendree. First home game is the 12th with Central Washington. Then they jump into conference play at Davenport the following weekend. Home with Saginaw Valley State in the last weekend of September. Then they've got five October games. Notice how they don't have a bye week this year. It's just every weekend back to back to back to back to back and so on. They're at Wayne State October 3rd. Then they have a three-game homestand beginning October 10th. They have a non-conference game with Ohio Dominican. The 17th, home with Northwood. And then the 24th, Michigan Tech is here for the Miners' Cup battle. Halloween, I love how that's on a Saturday. They're at Ashland. Senior Day is November 7th with Grand Valley State and then closing the regular season at the defending national runner-ups from Ferris State. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> it's a tough schedule as ever. Yeah. Is that well, your biggest contribution? I mean, like, what else can we see about it? Obviously, it, was, <laughs> obviously it wasn't a good season. Like, uh, we don't really know the recruiting class too well and stuff like that, so we can't really predict anything. We can say, oh, they're going to be worse because of the people they lost, but who knows? Maybe the freshmen coming in, maybe we'll see some improvements or stuff like that, but we know that it's still a rebuilding process for for the NMU team, so... Uh, and looking at that schedule, obviously their very last game, with, if they are going to make the playoffs, they're going to be squeaking it in and stuff like that, and it's going to come down to the very last couple of weeks. But going up against the defending national runner-ups, it's going to be near impossible to get anything going. It's going to be another tough season. Well, and to be completely fair, last season they were playing with a skeleton crew. They had about 20 guys on the injured reserve at any given time. They were still fairly competitive in a lot of GLIAC games, and we're hoping for better things for the Cats coming up this season. Yeah. Tell you what, looking at Tua Tungavailoa, he is not going to compete in the draft combine, and I don't think anyone really expected him to, but he may hold private workouts for NFL teams prior to the NFL draft. Now, the Dolphins pick at number five, and that's probably about as high as he will go, unless somebody trades into the top four and tries to steal him away from Miami. 
Who would that be? I mean, is there anybody that's that desperate for a quarterback? Chicago. Think so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if they're that, that. Do they have any leverage to try and trade for? I don't know. <laughs> they, I think they, they don't. traded they, away with they, Cleo they give, They've given everything to the Raiders, yeah. They do have a couple second-round picks and stuff like that, but and but the Dolphins aren't going to want to give... The, the Dolphins could give away one of their... They have a bunch of first-round picks now after well, they make a Fitzpatrick trade and stuff like that. But. I'm wondering if anybody picking two, three, and four, so the Lions, Redskins, and Giants would be interested in trading out because they know that somebody's going to give up a lot to try and get two away from Miami and not give them a chance to do it. To me, the team most desperate for a quarterback, or the team most willing to do that, I think would be the LA Chargers. I think they should give Terod Taylor a, a better shot. But I wouldn't put it past him to try and move into the top four to try and get to a Tungavailoa and make sure Miami never gets the chance. I still like Philip Rivers too. Like I know, I, I, I still like I him a too. lot. Um, I was taking a look at the NFL luck ratings this week because um, what want, is that? It's a, it's a rating by Pro Football Focus and Football Outsiders. It determines how lucky a team has gotten in oh, terms geez. of first down calls, uh, penalties called against them, stuff like that. I bet I know is number one. Uh, who, who do you think is number one? New England. No. How? The luckiest team in the league this year? This year? This year. Hmm. I don't know. The Green Bay Packers. Really? A full 1.1 wins above the next closest team. They have earned one. They have earned four wins this year based entirely off of luck, according to the ring. I, I can think of the Monday night game against the Lions. I can think, I don't know if it would have changed the outcome Sunday, but Jimmy Graham was short. <laughs> yeah, he was. That's amazing to me. I, if you got to take the entire last 20 years into account, though, no way it's not the Patriots. Well, I could take a look at the ratings and stuff like that for the previous years, but this year the Green Bay Packers had a 3.9 luck rating mm. this year. The next closest was the Seattle Seahawks with a 2.8 rating. Mm. New Orleans Saints were number four, which a lot of people are like, they're not lucky and stuff no. like that. No, but uh, that's just the stigma about one big player stuff like that. But in general, they have been a very lucky team this year. But the unluckiest team in the league was the Los Angeles Chargers. Really? They lost three wins, three and a half wins, off of bad calls, missed, for, missed first down calls, and stuff like that. So I still think that they are a good team. In terms of overall roster and talent, I think that they're one of the most talented teams in the league. They're up there with the Atlanta Falcons, Minnesota Vikings, and uh, Cleveland Browns. Now, a lot of those teams didn't make the playoffs, but in terms of pure talent, I think that those teams do have the edge in a lot of situations. So I think Phillip Rivers is still a good quarterback. His decision-making isn't where it was, but one bad year shouldn't totally turn you off from him. Would you see the Raiders? I didn't want to call them Oakland because they're technically... Did you see their Twitter account just change their name to the Raiders? Not Oakland, not Las Vegas yet. We know that's coming. But the Raiders, as they're professionally known right now... You wonder if they could move into the top four because Gruden does have the picks. He has the weapons, the stockpile uh, assembled to try and make a move like that. I don't think it's totally necessary right now. Derek Carr isn't the MVP candidate we saw a couple years ago, sure, but I think I don't think they're desperate right now. I think they need to surround themselves with a good defense and a strong offensive line they have the offensive weapons in terms of wide receiver tight end and running back to continue to dominate so build the offensive line because you know that those players are going to fall build the defense because you know those players are going to fall and just continue to do well just continue to do well for a couple years and then find yourself a new quarterback Tanner Hoops John Michael Hoefling with you before we hit the break I want to bring this up to you Antonio Brown continues to melt down before our very eyes the police department out there in his uh, neighborhood have rejected any kind of sponsorship with him. They've cut ties with him. They've given back a donation that he had given to the police before 
things went south for him, and he, there's just something wrong. He needs help. That video that came out Monday is just absolutely disturbing. You've seen that, right? Mm-hmm. The video with Antonio Brown. And if you haven't, I'm not going to recommend it to you. I haven't shared it on any of my social media because it is just beyond profanity-laced. It is racist. It is just... It's terrible the things he says to police officers. In uh, you know, he says this to uh, the mother of his children in front of the children, and this dude just continues to destroy his own career. It's just I can't believe what we're seeing. I really can't. It's crazy how quick he fell. It really it, is. it is. Like I've never seen anybody go from arguably the best player in the league to nothing. And just he's doing nothing. it all himself. Yeah. It's totally him. That He's his own worst enemy. No, I feel like we've talked so much about him, and it's just because he continues to do bad, terrible, atrocious things for himself in, in his career. He has no career anymore. No. No, and there's no way he's ever going back to the NFL. There's no way he's going anywhere anymore. No. he's gonna. What's he going to do, XFL? No. no. I don't think they'd even take him at this point. No. Did you I see would. their Twitter account clap back at him one time? Everybody's clapping back at Antonio Brown, Logan Paul, the XFL. Everybody's clapping at him on Twitter. I legitimately think Logan Paul would wreck him. Logan Paul is He's uh, a big guy. Yeah, he is. Antonio Brown's is, fast, uh, but he's not that big. Oh, boy. Those are two guys that I would just not want to be in a room with. Doesn't yeah, matter but, if I'm but alone. Fighting, but fighting each other. Uh, I just don't want to be in that room. Especially <laughs> if those two are getting violent, they're getting angry. Those are two guys I just don't want to be around because Logan Paul, you know, he's a fighter. He is, I'll just say, he's a weirdo. I mean, Logan Paul is a weird guy, and I don't want anything to do with him. Antonio Brown, I don't want anything to do with right now. But here's another thing Will Kane talked about earlier this week. Is there anybody that you can think of that has just destroyed their own career, single-handedly been their worst enemy more than Antonio Brown. The one guy that he came up with that could even come close to was Charlie Sheen. Yeah. I mean, in a way, Will talked about when Charlie was on Two and a Half Men, like that show, you know, back in the day. And it was, at a time, the most popular show on television. And then Charlie Sheen goes after his employers, just like Antonio Brown. Went after Chuck Lorre, the producer, who's, you know, put out some great TV shows like Big Bang Theory, among others. And he went after him and just ruined his own career. Kind of like Antonio Brown is right now. In a way, it kept them relevant. But in another way, in a much more normal way, it destroyed everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that Antonio Brown is destroying it way worse than Charlie Sheen is because Charlie Sheen could get by on that I- idea of yeah I'm a bad I'm a bad dude I'm a bad boy stuff like that mm-hmm. yeah I don't I don't care and now he's sort of become a meme Antonio Brown is becoming a meme but he wasn't as big as Charlie Sheen was to get to that point so he's not going to be able to ride off that wave for a while so yeah he's he's done I mean you look at wide receivers just to compare any other athletes to Antonio Brown and yeah you have guys like. Uh, Terrell Owens. Owens, there you go. He's a great example. Chad Ochocinco, you know, they kind of played the bad boy, you know, kind of role. Antonio Brown's not playing a role. I mean, no. he is just mentally ill, and he needs help. Yeah, it's it's sad. No, it really dis- is. no disagreement here. No, and it's just really sad. It really is. You watch that video, and again, you can check it out on your own time if you want. But it is heartbreaking that that happened to a guy that, by all accounts, was a good guy at one point. Mm-hmm. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Let's take our next time out. Got a little hockey to talk about, yet another coach bites the dust. His replacement already filling his office a couple hours later. Next on ESPN-UP.
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any of today's show, it's available on demand with The Sports Pen podcast. Get it from our free mobile app or check out our website, ESPNUP.com. Tanner Hoops, John Michael Hoefling with you. Glad you're along as we wind down this Wednesday afternoon. we got a little bit of hockey to talk about because there is a new coach that has been fired today. Jeff Blaschel somehow has outlasted yet another of his colleagues. A guy I didn't believe should have been fired, plus the greatest player in the game came back last night after a 28-game absence, and he absolutely didn't miss a beat. Let's start right there because that makes me happy. Sidney Crosby is back, and he had four points last night as part of the Penguins' 7-3 win over the Minnesota Wild. The Penguins won 16 games in Crosby's absence. They were 16 Six and four, I believe, is their record. I think that adds up to 28. Maybe it doesn't. That's I don't 26. Know. 26, something like that. Okay, 16, eight and four, maybe something like that. It's something close to that, to that event. They won 16 games, I know that, without Sidney Crosby. Evgeny Malkin is statistically having the second best year of his career in his mid 30s. It's over. This team is going to win the Stanley Cup, and I am so e- here for even it. Even without Gwensel right now? Oh, they'll get him back. They'll be fine. Tristan Jari, where'd he come from? I mean, he's the new number one goalie for this team. I love it. There I'm are, so happy about it. There are a lot it. of things going right and stuff like that, but people were saying the same thing about the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know. Don't get too high on the, on the pens right now. Oh, boy, and what happened to them, the Lightning? Yeah. From last year to this year. I tell you what, the, I, I don't know. I am getting this high on the Penguins because... I don't truly believe it's over for the rest of the league. I'm going to talk a big game. I'm going to say, yeah, it's over for the league. The Penguins are taking this year's cup. They're going to win the cup again and get back to certain themselves at the top of the league. I don't know that for a fact. There's a lot that can happen here until June. Tanner's trying really hard to not jinx this one. (laughs) Going super hard reverse psychology right here. (laughs) With Crosby back, the Penguins are now four points out of first place in the Metropolitan Division. They are 29-12. And five. Now they have the best player in the game back. Some people don't like him. They can't deny he is the best player skating. Right? It's not McDavid. So I got in an argument with somebody the other day that Connor McDavid is not the best. But why? What are you looking at me like that for? Do you think Connor McDavid's the best I, player I think, in hockey? I think Connor McDavid and Nikita Kucherov both have very good, very good uh, cases to be made. Oh, I think even, I, th- I think even Nathan McKinnon has a case to be uh, made. No. No, you got to do something in the postseason. Connor McDavid's what? 3 years into the league? No, he's got to be like 5 by now. Either way, he has been just phenomenal. He's he has lived been. up to every single hype and stuff like that. He's way less injury prone than Crosby. Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, so I mean, the, and he will take the throne someday, just not today. I think he's taken the throne no. someday. No. No, because, and I totally get it. I feel bad for him because they've done nothing to build around him in Edmonton. Like, they've just, they're wasting they him got rid in his Taylor prime. Hall. I know, they're wasting him in his prime. I feel for that. At the same time, you got to do something to the postseason. you got to have a little bit of postseason success if you really want to be the best player in the world. Well, I mean, I feel like I've said this several times on the show about hockey, but I feel like hockey is the least, uh, it's the least um, player-oriented sport uh, of the big four. So I think that you can have a great guy. You can have a you can have a Wayne Gretzky. Wayne Gretzky won how many cups? Oh, I don't know. He didn't win, my head. He didn't win nearly as much as anybody on those Canadian teams. But can, how many members of those Canadian teams can you name? How many legends did those mm-hmm. Canadian teams have? I think it, a lot of the, it's the least player oriented sport. You can have a great player. You can have three great players, but that doesn't mean you're going to do anything and stuff like that. So I think McDavid is great, but just because he is great and he is great, yeah, he is. 
that doesn't mean you're going to do anything. And we can't blame him for the lack of success that a team, in the most team-oriented sport in terms of uh, the team as a whole, I, like you can say football is very team-oriented, it is. But if you have a good quarterback, if you have a Patrick Mahomes, you can get yourself to the playoffs on just that. There's nothing like that in the NHL. I would disagree on that. I mean, you've got 15, 16 teams in each conference. Eight of them make the postseason. I mean, if you've got a player of that caliber and you've got at least a capable supporting cast, which he's had throughout the years, you should be able to do at least something to play. He made it once, and he did nothing when he got there. Yeah, I mean, it happens. Are you going to say Anthony Davis? Where would you put Anthony Davis on NBA players' list? Anthony Davis is going to make the playoffs this year and have a deep run. So I would. But he needed LeBron James to do that. Right, and I'm not going to put him as the top player in the world because of that. But you would, would you I would put say, him top five? Absolutely, I'd put him top. And I would put Connor McDavid top five. I would put Connor. I, but still, like, Connor McDavid has never had the LeBron James on his team. No, he hasn't. He's had, Anthony Davis. He's had good players and stuff like that. You could say Sidney Crosby has had a, a, a LeBron James on his team. He's had a. He's no, he's had, had a Kyrie. He's had Kenny Malkin. He yeah, is LeBron. Well, he's had a, a bunch of great players on his teams. He's had Phil Kessel. He's, he's had, Kevin Love. He's had Jordan Stahl. Uh, so he's had a lot of uh, Chris Letang. Uh, I mean, I could I could get into the great players. That's Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> I could get into the great players that have been on the Pens on on Crosby's teams. I don't think any one of these Oiler teams stacks up to the teams that the Pens have had. If we're going to get into that situation, do I think Crosby's great? Do I think his career is better than McDavid's? I, I mean, obviously, I think that. Crosby's career has been far, 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 far better than McDavid's thus far. But to pin an entire lack of success uh, in the postseason on one player in a sport that's the most team-oriented among among the big four, I, I, I just don't like it. I would say that it's hockey, then baseball, then a huge drop-off, where if you have one good player in the NBA, and if you have a good quarterback in the NFL, you can do some damage. So I tell you what, hockey might be the most fickle sport of all the pro major sports because today a coach who has his team in playoff position tied for the second wildcard spot in the western conference and he's set to coach an all-star team or at least he was next week has been fired gerard gallant has been fired by the vegas golden knights less than two years after taking an expansion team in their first year to the stanley cup final it's weird it is so weird like what the heck happened there I mean, I know they're on a four-game losing streak, but come on. I mean, this is a good coach. I didn't think Florida should oh, well, have fired they, him they a few got, years ago. They got a better coach now. Oh, yeah, they got Peter DeBoer. They go out and get a division rival who consistently underperformed with how talented those Sharks teams were. Got him to the Cup a few years ago, the Cup Final, and got blown out by Pittsburgh. Peter De- is not blown out. Oh, that series was never that close. It was 3-1. It was 2-0-2-1-3-1-3-2-4-2. That was the year that everyone was blowing 3-1 leads except Pittsburgh. That was 2016. Yeah. Yeah, the Cubs blowing a 3-1 lead. The Warriors did. Hillary Clinton did. Everybody blew a 3-1 lead back in 2016. Not the Pittsburgh Penguins. No. But I tell you what, Peter DeBoer, a former division rival who was fired from his own job last month, is now coaching Vegas. Gerard Gallant was going to coach the All-Stars. Now, who's going to do that? Still Gallant. You think so? Yeah, probably. Why? He's not with an NHL team anymore. It doesn't matter. Why would he coach the All-Star game? Yeah, you can come back. There, there have been coaches that have come out of retirement to coach All-Star teams and stuff like that. Yeah, so but this is such a unique situation. I don't know. Does Peter DeBoer coach him now? No, it's still Gallant. I, I, I think it, 100% it'll still be Gallant. I just can't believe that you know hockey does this. They've started setting a trend where even if you get to the second round of the postseason, it doesn't matter. You're out. You're like If you don't have... 
uh, cup aspirations every year, or at least conference championship aspirations every year, you're not doing enough. Hockey is the most what-have-you-done-for-me-lately sport. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, a few years ago, back in 2014, I was upset when the Penguins parted ways with Dan Bilesma after the 2014 season. He won a cup as an interim head coach. Pittsburgh always was competitive over him. They lost in the second round of the Eastern Conference playoffs that year that they fired Bilesma. A couple months after he was coaching Team USA in the Olympics. Turned out to be the right move because Bilesma's coaching career has gone down significantly since. But still, hockey's a fickle sport in that sense where if you're not in the conference championship at least three years into your career, you're probably out of a job. I'd say conference semifinals. Conference championship is tough to get into. It is, but that's the way hockey is. And now it's starting to leak over to baseball a little bit. A little bit? I I mean, mm, I don't know. I I think baseball understands what makes a good manager. Mm -hmm. I don't know why Gabe Kapler still has a job. (laughs) Gosh. But um, I I think he doesn't still have a job. He has a new job. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Um, but baseball is starting to understand what makes a good manager and who the good managers are. Joe Madden still has a job and stuff like that, which he definitely 1,000% deserves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Girardi is great. Don Mattingly is good, but uh, I think he's out of a job right now. Don Mattingly is, but I know he's a good manager. He's not with Miami anymore? Uh, I'm not sure if he is. thought he was. Even if he is, I'm glad he is because mm-hmm. he is a good manager. That's not a good team down there. <laughs> um, so they're starting to understand what makes a good manager. I think hockey is still trying to figure out what makes a good coach. Like, hockey is so much less coach-oriented, I feel like. Like, in, ter- in terms of practice, they mean a lot. But in terms of the actual game, like, other than calling for line changes, you get one timeout, stuff like that. You, you determine who starts in goal and what, what, your line, what, what, what lines get thrown out there and stuff like that. Other than that, but I feel like it's still 100% just how well the players work together. Oh, I disagree. Hockey coaches do more than they get credit for. I think they do a lot in practice and prepping for the game. I think that prepping for a a hockey game is one of the most difficult things to do in sports. But during the actual game, you're not out on the ice. Like, um, you can't really draw plays. You can do that during the intermissions. But other than that, but you you, want to use the intermissions as a stepping stone to be like, hey, what do we see thus far? The, the, the great overlying factor is giving them a talk or something like that. You don't really use it to be like, okay, we're going to do this on the opening face-off. <laughs> That's not something that Oh, happens. no, 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 no. But they're making in-game adjustments. Whenever the lines come out and they go out for a new shift, they're directing traffic and they're making those adjustments on the bench. I spent three years in Sioux City between the benches, and I can tell you what, those coaches do a lot more than they get credit for. Hockey coaches, Good. absolutely. I'm glad to hear absolutely that. I'm glad do. to hear that. Tell you what, let's uh, touch on one other thing here before we run out of time for the day. Luke Keekley announced his retirement abruptly last night at the age of 28, one of the best linebackers in football. He didn't explicitly say why, but we get the feeling it is concussion-related. Do you remember a few years ago that he had that hit? Uh, somebody just knocked his helmet off, and he was on the field. He tried to get up. He had no clue where he was, and he's just like stumbling around, and you're just like, this guy's not right. Just stay on the ground, Luke. And he's coming off the field crying, and you just never felt the same about Luke Keekley after that. I don't remember that play. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do know that it's becoming way, way, way more common for this kind of stuff to happen, and I, I'm, I'm all for it. Like, obviously, it sucks to see him go. He was a great guy and a great player, but it's becoming more common, and people care more about their health nowadays. So you got to you got to appreciate it. I tell you what, Carolina fans have gone <laughs> kind of throw, run the gamut here in the last day because Duke lost last night to Clemson, 79-72, but they get Joe Brady. 
the guy who developed a Heisman Trophy winner this year, is going to be the new offensive coordinator for Matt Rule in Carolina. I actually like that hire a lot. I know you're not sold on Matt Rule yet because of the college to NFL jump, but here's the thing. Joe, uh, Joe Brady brought a professional offense to the college level. Now he's teaming up with a college coach again to bring an offense that did work in college but was still professional to the NFL. I'll believe it when I see it, man. Uh, <laughs> like, There's not much else I can say about it. Is Matt Rule has done well in college. That doesn't mean anything. I know, I know, but you have a guy that succeeded running a pro offense in college, bringing that offense to the pros with a college coach. Great. Cliff Kingsbury was supposed to do the same thing. <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but this is Joe Brady. This is a guy that it's amazing what he did this year at LSU. It's good, and he did develop one of the best players in college football, obviously, and stuff like that. But I, I, I'm just skeptical when it comes to this I stuff. Know, I, I, want, know. I, I want Carolina to do well, too. I, I don't know why, but I just I just like Carolina. Maybe it was McCaffrey. Seeing, well, maybe, but maybe it was seeing them get thrashed against Denver in that one Super Bowl, too. Where I'm, just, I just sort of pity them now. But like, I really want them to do well. Maybe it's the fact that I want Tyree Smith to to rot in his Saints <laughs> fandom. No, I'm joking, not that. But um, I want them to do well. I do sincerely. But getting rid of Ron Ron Rivera, I just don't like that move. And uh, there are a lot of things I like. Keekly, I like. Uh, I like DJ Moore. I like Christian McCaffrey. I even like Kyle Allen. I n- I mm-hmm. never really liked Cam Newton that much. Uh, but. Well, that's my next question for you. Was this the final nail in the coffin for Cam Newton? Because he is not the quarterback that Joe Brady succeeds with. Yeah, probably. He's not the style of quarterback. Carolina might be a team that tries to train up for Tua. They could. Why not? Joe Brady and Tua? I could see it. could work. I think it could work. Although LSU-Alabama, ooh. I know, I know. Might be tough in that locker room. I was hoping that Notre Dame would land Joe Brady because him and Brian Kelly share the same agent. Notre Dame, though, they did get their new offensive coordinator yesterday, former quarterback Tommy Reese. Kind of mixed feelings about it, but I'm leaning toward happy. Okay. I care about that. I don't know who else does. Either way, we're out of time, man. Appreciate you being here with your busy schedule. What's coming up at ABC 10 we should know about? Obviously, we have Friday Night Frenzy coming up every single Friday. We're going to have a Thursday throwdown next week with oh, yeah? Nolan Kent, one of the best oh, really? goalies in the WCHA. I'm trying to find some hockey gear right now, some goalie gear, because mm. I want to get in goal, man. I used to play goalie when Did I was you really? back, back in the day when I was like eight years old. Hockey? Yeah, hockey goal, not water polo goalie. No, no, they no, have no, goalies no. in water polo. Yeah, they do. I thought they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was an attacker in water polo. I played. Okay. I played a four. I played four, which is a defensive-minded spot, a defensive and a passing spot. That's beside the point. I'm trying to find some hockey gear right now. Trying to because all that uh, NMU can offer right now is a pad. There's a blocker, excuse me, and a glove. So uh, can't really play goalie in that. You're going to get hurt. So. I need some of the other stuff. Looking for that right now, but definitely looking forward to doing that with Nolan. Next week, we are going to dive deeper into John Michael Hofling's hockey career when he was younger playing goalie. Plus, be on the lookout (laughs) for the Thursday throwdown with Nolan Ken. That's it for us here in ESPN-UP. For John Michael Hofling, I'm Tanner Hoops. Thanks for listening to the Sports Pan. ESPN-UP, WZAM, Ishpeming Marquette.